are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Good this morning. Good. I am Gemma, if we haven't met. Um, I have the enormous privilege of being one of the pastors around here. I'm typically the one that's kind of covered in a bit of baby spew up. Um, I took a shower this morning. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but I am really excited to be sharing with you this morning and to kick off our, our vision series. I want to start by doing a quick little poll, if you don't mind. Just indulge me for a second. Um, Stick your hand up if you would say you've been part of this community for like four years or more. That's quite a number of us. Okay, thank you. You can stick your hands down. What about if you would say you connected with our community during the pandemic, maybe even via the live stream? Well, this encourages me so much because, you know, Sean Bay could tell you, being in this room with just a camera was not the most fun with just a few of us. This is so much better. What about if you just have connected with us in the last few months? Wow, you're so welcome. Anyone here for the very first time? Oh, welcome! You're so welcome. So glad you're here. <laughs> Well, whether this is your very first Sunday or whether you have been part of this community for close to a decade, this is a good time to be here because uh, over the next few weeks, this vision series, we're going to be remembering and unpacking who we are, our core values as a church and the things that we want to increasingly be known for. Over the years, we have defined our three pillars uh, like this, formative encounter, pilgrim community and merciful presence. These pillars support and elevate and determine everything we do as a church. And today, I want to talk about formative encounter, which we would describe as experiencing the power of the Spirit and being transformed into the image of Christ. And I want to share a few stories to begin. Sally is a single mom. She works really hard. She goes to church every Sunday. She loves God. She loves her community. But she has never really experienced a tangible sense of God's love for her. And one day she comes to church. The pastor is talking about experiencing the love of God. And as she's listening, she feels like the pastor is speaking directly to her. And it comes time for the response. And her hands are sweating a little bit. Her heart is, is thumping in her chest. She feels uncomfortable. She kind of wants to leave the room. But instead, she courageously comes forward. She kneels on the rug. She tells God that she wants to experience more of his presence. And as the worship is happening, it seems to her as if liquid love is being poured out on her. And for the first time in her life, she feels like she is seen and known and loved by the God of the universe. Tim works for an advertising company. He's been a, a Christian for many years. He's climbed the ladder, super successful, probably works about 70 hours a week. And one day on his morning commute, he walks along and he feels this deep sense of conviction that he should stop and talk to this homeless man who seems familiar to him in some way. And so he gets them both breakfast and coffee. He sits with the man and begins to talk with him. And this man has an incredible story of loss, 
but he also has a great sense of humor and expresses gratitude. And Tim, for the first time in ages, belly laughs. And he says goodbye to the man and he stands up and as he walks away, his eyes are just pulling with tears. And he makes a decision that his life needs to change. He needs to create margin to be with people who remind him of what is most important. Kara goes to her community group. And on this occasion, they're spending time meditating on, on scripture. And in the silence, she feels really drawn to the words fasting and prayer. And she doesn't really understand why, but over the course of the night, she feels this growing conviction that God is calling her to a weekly practice of fasting on Fridays. And she doesn't fully understand why. But over the course of the next six months, as she faithfully engages with this discipline, she notices that delaying gratification is actually a really big deal for her. And the root of so many unhealthy habits related to her consumption but slowly over time, she begins to realize that through the discipline of fasting from food, she is being changed. She no longer engages in late night pornography watching on the weekends because of her loneliness and stress. She was able to confess and trusted friends and in doing so, she begins to step into greater freedom and healing from sin patterns that have kept her stuck. Zach goes to a midweek worship and prayer night at church. He really enjoys the space to linger in God's presence. It feels like he's coming home to himself. And someone from the prayer team comes up to him and says, I, I feel like I have this prophetic picture for you and would you mind if I shared it with you? And the picture is of a little boy standing on a makeshift box pretending to teach and preach in front of his grandfather. And, and Zach begins to sob heaving, heaving sobs. As a boy, he loved the Bible more than anything. And all he wanted to do was preach and teach like his beloved grandfather. But his life had taken some tangents through it. He'd come face to face with his own brokenness. So he buried this dream and was pretending life was just fine in his call center job. And as he was prayed for, he felt such a sense of affirmation from the Lord. He felt joy and confidence being stirred up in him like he was waking from a long sleep. And immediately he asked the pastor if he can meet with him and process what it might look like to take a step towards this vocational call. Now what do all of these stories have in common? They're all examples of formative encounter. In each of these scenarios, through the power of the Spirit, these people are experiencing the presence of God and through that encounter they are being changed. Now, I could have easily selected any number of stories from Scripture of people encountering God. There's plenty of them, and we'll get to Isaiah in a little bit. But I feel like sometimes we feel inspired by stories in Scripture, but we also feel this sense of disconnect. Like, well, that's all very well, but you know, those people were in the Bible, so that's different, right? But I want us to see that just like the people in Scripture, we are all caught up in the great story of God. And God wants to meet with us here and now today in our ordinary lives and in our present day reality. Now, some of the experiences happened in a corporate worship setting like this one. Others were more private. Some happened in the midst of music and noise. Others happened in the silence. Some were more dramatic. Some were more subtle. Some involved outward displays of emotion. Others were more a moment of personal decision. Some involved spiritual gifts. Some involved spiritual disciplines. But all of them were specific and personal to the individual context and history and personality of that individual. 
And in all of them, God was moving in power and doing what he loves to do, which is bringing us into deeper and rich relationship with him, making us aware of his love, growing us in wholeness and holiness. And for me, if I had to pick one of these pillars, I would say this one is the most important. It's not because I'm teaching on it. It's not because the other two are not really, really important, because they are. But it is my deep conviction that anything we do as followers of Jesus, for Jesus, must be rooted in deep, intimate, and transformative relationship with Jesus. And as a community, we always want to be creating meeting places with God. And that might be, um, you know, things like the table or our liturgy, our Sunday gatherings, dwell nights of worship, nights of prayer, opportunities that are conducive to us being with Jesus. Times when we intentionally create room for ministering to one another and using our spiritual gifts. But even more than that, we want to encounter Jesus in our everyday, ordinary lives through the spiritual rhythms that we engage in. Spiritual disciplines are infused with God's grace. They transform us not only from the inside out, but also from the outside in. Formative encounter is not a one-time thing. The term formative encounter may make it seem like it's singular, but on the contrary, our spiritual formation is our continuing response to the reality of God's grace, shaping us into the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And that can't just happen if we live from Sunday to Sunday. We need to encounter Jesus day after day after day. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the how, what it looks like to be people who not only believe the truth about Jesus, but actually live the way of Jesus. But today, I, I don't want us to rush too quickly to the how until we've really captured the why. I love this quote. I've probably shared it before. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You see, when it comes to following Jesus, it's not about drumming people up with correct doctrine or action or persuading people to modify their behavior or do this or do that, although those things are important in the right time. It's about encountering the endless immensity of God's love so that holy longing provides the foundation for holy living. I remember in my early 20s, I'm sitting with a dear friend and mentor, and it was very clear to me that she had tasted something of God's presence that was unfamiliar to me. And, and I said to her, you know, I just feel like I don't love God enough. How do I make myself love God more? Trying to drum something up. And she looked at me and she said, Gemma, I think you've got things the wrong way round. Because what you need is a revelation of who God is and how much God loves you. And that is what will change everything. Every step of God's redemptive mission demonstrates that he is always the initiator. We love because he first loved us. I once heard it said like this, God is always lapping at the shores of people's lives. The question is not whether God loves you or wants to be in relationship with you. It's really a matter of our conscious awareness of his loving presence. In each of the scenarios that I shared, we see evidence that God always initiates through our thoughts, our emotions, circumstances, scripture, prayer, words of prophecy, worship. God is always lapping at the shores of our lives. Why? 
because he wants to be close to us. He wants us to experience his love. He wants us to know him and be known, to move towards greater life and freedom. And from this place of knowing our belovedness, we can then respond with what Richard Foster calls an answering love. Our cooperation with God must be rooted in this reciprocal love because without that, we'll just engage in all the right things for all the wrong reasons. But in each of these scenarios I shared, once each individual had experienced a particular nudge from the Lord, they each then responded to God's gracious invitation by allowing his love to lead them into deeper awareness of kingdom realities. So how do we respond to God's initiation? Well, I think first, there has to be an openness to God's initiation. And that might look like humility or desire or hunger or a sense of expectation. And then there needs to be cooperative engagement. We respond in obedience to God's invitations to form us. We move towards whatever it is that God has initiated in us. We set our intention. We make a commitment And today, my hope and prayer is that we would firstly begin by being open to the Spirit of God. Can we do that this morning? And as we experience God's initiation, whatever that might be, that we will each move towards it and discover more and more of the endless immensity of who He is. In our teaching text, which Lindsay read for us, we read about a significant moment of encounter in the life of the prophet Isaiah. This passage is known as Isaiah's commissioning. He was called and commissioned by God to be a major prophet to the nation of Israel. The book of Isaiah is known both for its judgment of the people of Israel in terms of their idolatry, their rebellion, the injustice that was going on. But it's also a book about hope that God or Yahweh, which was God's covenant name in the Old Testament, was going to fulfill his covenant promises, that God's blessing would flow out from the nation of Israel to the world. But Israel's redemption would come at a cost. Ultimately, the book of Isaiah points to Jesus as Messiah, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And a vision of the Lord appears to the prophet. He sees God, Yahweh, sitting on the throne, exalted in the temple. The train of God's robe is symbolic of his splendor and majesty, and it fills the temple. What dominates the scene here is God's glory. The temple is filled with the glorious presence of the Lord, and God is the center around whom all else moves. In the vision, Isaiah finds himself gazing at a ceremony in which the seraphim, who are our messengers, um, act as messengers who serve God, they announce the glorious presence of Yahweh. And the seraphim are like men in appearance in that they have faces and feet, but they also have these wings with which they cover themselves in the presence of God in deference to his holiness. And as they hover in God's presence, They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. The holiness of God is one of the most important doctrines in the teaching of Isaiah. The Hebrew word here for holiness is brightness. It speaks of God's stunning superiority over everything. God's holiness is his innermost nature. It is an expression of his separateness, his otherness, his beyondness. Israel will not be able to experience the loving kindness of God until they've been cleansed and sanctified by God. 
And the fact that the seraphim cry out this threefold repetition of holy is very important. Hebrew writers used repetition to give emphasis or to express totality. And a threefold repetition is unique in Scripture, demonstrating the irrevocable incomprehensibility of the divine. I want to share with you a vision I had a few months ago. Um, because I think it's relevant to us today, and I think it's, it's tied in with something that God wants to do amongst us as a community. Um, I was sitting on my couch with Jesus in silence and solitude, which is a rare gift in my life these days, I have to say. Um, but in my imagination, I saw this very vivid scene that I was caught up in. And I saw myself reclining in this beautiful, wild, open space. And I was actually holding a lamb much like I would hold one of my babies. Um, there was this beautiful sense of, of comfort and closeness and intimacy. And as I was enjoying these sweet moments of tenderness and almost kind of dozing off, suddenly and unexpectedly, I became aware of the presence of an adult male lion moving towards me. And all of the hairs on my body stood at attention. My mind was sharp and alert. My heart was racing. My pulse was thumping. My hands started to sweat. My mouth was dry. I was paralyzed with fear, as you would be if a real lion was moving towards you in a wide open space. And in that moment, I felt like the Lord said to me, Gemma, you know the tenderness and loving friendship of Christ. You've experienced comfort and security and healing from my love. You know my voice. You know what it is to feel hidden in my love. You've experienced me as the Lamb of God. But I am also the Lion of Judah. I am holy. I am other. I am superior to everything. I am high above all things. I am awesome in power and glory. I expose what's hidden. I am so far beyond your comprehension. God wants us to experience the intimacy and comfort of his love. We were made for friendship with God, but we are never to overlook the otherness of God. There is no choosing between lion and lamb. Our relationship with God must embrace the friendship and the fear, the closeness and yet the separation. God is both lion and lamb and we are invited to know him as both. In the aftermath of that, I, I find myself wondering, God, have I made you too tame? Have I forgotten the holiness and otherness and beyondness of God? Have I made you too cozy? Have we treated God like a weighted blanket, wanting all the security and the sense of peace without any of the discomfort? Have we wanted all of the affirmation and none of the alteration? Have we forgotten the holy discomfort of the presence of God? Have you ever noticed that in Scripture, anytime someone encounters the presence of God or the angel of the Lord, what is the dominant emotion on the scene? I mean, the word fear, do not be afraid, is actually a phrase that is used over 300 times in Scripture. Isaiah is afraid. When he encounters the glory and holiness of God, he doesn't respond by saying, you know, I feel so warm and fuzzy right now. That beautiful song of worship of the seraphim, it's given me holy goosebumps. He thought he was going to die. He cried out, woe to me, I am ruined. 
when he sees the holiness of God, he thinks he's going to be destroyed by it. I've often told this story. I'm going to tell it again. When I first encountered the presence of God in a very raw and tangible way, I used to hide in the bathrooms in that church during ministry time as if God somehow wouldn't notice me in there. Um, And the truth was that I was afraid. The Lion of Judah was in the room. He was roaring. And the thing was, I was a Christian. I prayed, I read my Bible, I went to church every Sunday. But deep down I knew that if I encountered this holy, glorious God, that I would not be allowed to stay the same. I would be confronted with all of the ways that I was paying lip service to this glorious gospel. I knew that in the brightness of his presence, I would have to examine all the things I'd attached myself to. All the other gods I was worshipping, the lesser loves I'd given my heart to, my disordered affections. I knew that like Isaiah, I would cry out, woe to me, I'm ruined. For my eyes have seen the king. And the king wants all of me. This king cannot simply be an accessory to my life. And the truth is, friends, what we're talking about here today is really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me, die to self, give up your life in order to find it. None of this should come as a surprise to us, and yet it often does. It's a confrontation. I had given my life to Jesus, but perhaps I'd maybe seen that as a destination, instead of a starting place on a lifelong journey of discipleship. And now I had to choose if I would come out of hiding and name where I truly was in my relationship with God. I've shared this quote a couple of times in the last few weeks. Larry Crabb writes this, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be or wish we were. And he goes on to say, God's truth does not set free a pretending or hiding heart. The truth I had to name was that although I wished it were true that I was a close disciple of Jesus, the truth was I was really more a spectator. I was an admirer of Jesus. Ronald Rollheiser says that Jesus isn't after our admiration, but our imitation. I was being invited to give up my nominal Christianity and sign up for the real deal. I was being invited to take a risk on a whole life kind of gospel, giving up all of my life in order to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Isaiah sees the truth of himself in light of the truth of God, and he cries out, woe to me. What's particularly interesting to me about this is that in the previous chapter, Isaiah 5, Isaiah uses the word woe six times. I mean, who does that? But in all of those contexts, in all of those six times that he says, woe to, it's always about someone else. It's always about the nation of Israel. It's woe to you who do these things. Woe to those who do those things. But when he is confronted with the majesty of God, all generalities disappear and he sees himself under the microscope along with the rest of the nation. It's easy to listen to words about holiness, And wonder how it's landing with that person over there who's doing this thing or that person over there who's living this way. But the truth is when we truly encounter God, we're not that concerned about how that person over there is living their life so much as we humbly recognize our own need for God. 
In many ways, Isaiah represents the nation of Israel. He needs this encounter with God before he can be a mouthpiece for God. But the burning coal, which represents the holiness of God and it touching his lips, it doesn't destroy him. It purifies him. When I look back on those days when I came out of my hiding in the bathroom, I see that just like Isaiah, what I thought was going to ruin me, it saved me. It remade me. It restored me. And at times when I talk about it, I, I feel overwhelmed and it's just with gratitude because I see the journey that God has taken me on. He set my feet on a path towards freedom and joy and righteousness and goodness. Sometimes we have to be willing to step into discomfort for the sake of experiencing God in new ways and being changed for the better. With all this talk of, of God as lion, you know, it'd be, it would be remiss of me not to mention Aslan. You all knew that was coming, didn't you? I mean, you know, it's cheesy, but I have to say it. Like in, in that scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the children are with the beavers and they're finding out about Aslan and they're asking the beavers, you know, is he a man? And Mr. Beaver says, no, he's a lion. He, he's the king. And then they say, well, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that has always been my experience. When I step into discomfort, I experience the extravagant love and goodness of God. The same writer who penned those words about Aslan also said this, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. So what is God initiating in you today? What's holding you back from experiencing all that God has for you? We're going to move towards a time of response. I'm going to invite the band to, to start making their way back up on stage. But I wonder if, Dylan, you could put up, there's an icon that we usually use when we speak a formative encounter. And you'll notice that it's kind of like a, a flame that has a landing space. And um, for me, when I, when I look at this, I think of the fact that formative encounter is really about the fire that is the love and passion, the holiness of God being earthed, being grounded in you and me and in our everyday reality, spilling out onto the world around us. And in our teaching text, as the burning coal from the altar touches Isaiah's lips, the fire of God is earthed in him. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples who've gathered in that upper room and separates on them like tongues of fire on their heads. Their physical bodies experience the presence of the living God being earthed in them. And the church was born. And so today we ask ourselves, how are we experiencing the presence of God? How are we being shaped and formed by the presence of God being earthed in us? Perhaps there are those of you who have only really experienced God as, as a distant, far-off God. Maybe even your church upbringing has led you to believe that God is always angry and out to smite you. Maybe you've never really had a personal experience of his love. 
Maybe today you desperately need an encounter with the person of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who comes to you gently and tenderly, who has recklessly pursued you with his love, stopping at nothing to bring you into a place of communion and intimacy and friendship with God. Perhaps there are those of you who have experienced deep intimacy and friendship with God, but you've lost sight of his holiness, his otherness, the majesty of God. And there's a fresh call to see the Lord in his glory and allow the fire of his love to purify and refine you. Perhaps there are those of you who just feel like a bit like Isaiah saying, woe to me, I'm ruined. Growing up, I grew up in the Salvation Army. It's also a church, uh, not just a charity. But at the front of every Salvation Army church, there was a very simple wooden bench. We called it the mercy seat. And it was a simple place of response where people would come and kneel to confess, to surrender, to say yes to the initiation of God. And if that felt appropriate for you today, you're very welcome to use the front of our stage as a mercy seat. Maybe there's someone here today and you've actually never said yes to following Jesus. And if that is you and you want to begin that adventure with Jesus today, we would love to pray for you. Whether you have said yes, never said yes to Jesus, or or whether you've been following him for practically your whole life, today is for all of us. This is not the kind of message where we're like, you know, here's this invitation for that, and here's this invitation for that, because this is all of us. This applies to all of us. None of us in this room, including myself, are not in need of knowing Jesus in a deeper, more intimate way, of knowing his holiness in a greater way. And maybe the truth is, for some of you, you don't yet feel the desire to say yes to Jesus. The resistance is too great. Maybe today is just about the prayer before the prayer. Maybe it's the um, I want to want you prayer, which I've prayed many times myself. But today as we respond, we come with our fear We come with our expectation. We come in our doubting. We come in our desperation. We come out of hiding. We come to Jesus because it's in him that we live and move and have our being. So I want to encourage you this morning as we're worshiping and as we're responding, express your openness to God. Name honestly where you are. Ask for his presence and courageously say yes to whatever it is he is inviting you to do today. Would you, would you just stand with me? Today, I wanted to make sure we had lots of space to respond because I truly believe that God wants to meet with us today. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple filled with smoke, the train of his robe filled the temple, the glory of his presence filled the temple. We don't know what's going to happen when we invite God's presence to move freely amongst us. But that's what we want to do this morning. 
We're not asking Jesus to come. He's already here. But we need to come into greater awareness of his presence. And we want to express our hunger for more and more of his presence amongst us. And so, I don't know what that's going to look like. But I just want to encourage you to respond to the initiation of God. Move your body. Move your body into a posture that feels appropriate to what God is doing in you. These rugs are open. There'll be prayer ministry teams available. This stage is open as a mercy seat if that feels appropriate to you. But let's come to Jesus. And so I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. We do this simply because this is between us and God. It's not about the person on your left. It's not about the person on your right. And I would encourage you to place your hands in a posture as if you're going to receive something, a gift, how you would stretch out and, and receive a gift from someone. And we do this simply because it's a way of saying, okay, I, I, I want to receive from you. It's that posture of openness. Maybe there's another posture that feels more fitting to you. Go for it. But we're just going to pray and we're just going to wait. Come, come Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lion and Lamb, would your glory fill this place? Would the train of your robe fill this room? Come Holy Spirit, meet with us. We long for you. We long for you, Lord. We want to want you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what you long to do in us. We are open. We are ready to receive from you, Lord. I just want to encourage you to pay attention to what's going on in you. Don't rush from this moment. Don't go hide in the bathroom like I did. Just be present to this moment. And as we worship together, I'm just going to invite you to respond, whatever that looks like for you. So come, Jesus, meet with your people. And may we have hearts that are courageous enough to say yes to you.